how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Andrew Herr spent the bulk of his childhood playing hockey until he moved senior year and got involved with acting in theaters in a new environment. Today he's best known for playing Jonesy on the series Letterkenny, where he plays one of two bumbling hockey players in a small town in Canada. The character-based series is made up of, quote, hicks, skids, hockey players, and Christians. In this interview, the actor talks about how Letterkenny inspired him to get into screenwriting, the positive limitations of low-budget writing, his favorite recent horror movies, the benefits of writing with partners, and what's next for the series that is currently on a live tour. Make sure to also read our interview with co-creator of Letterkenny, Jacob Tierney, on the Creative Screenwriting website. For me, uh, I spent a good deal of my childhood playing hockey and uh, classic Canadian story. Um, but I ended up moving in grade 12 to a new school because my dad had a, had a new job. So we had to relocate as a family, not a crazy distance, but from about four hours away. So I was in a new school. I uh, didn't have too many friends. Uh, I was playing, I was trying out for junior B at the time, but uh, I remember we, my brothers and I, and I, my brothers brought this up this not, not long ago, but uh, we were like obsessed with honorage uh, before we moved, before we moved uh, to Kingston. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe somewhere deep down inside my head, I was like, I wanted to be, Vince well actually I didn't want to be Vince oddly I wanted to be Johnny Drama because I thought that was more of an interesting character not great for your career but um uh so maybe that was implanted in there but I also um so I was halfway through my uh 12, grade 12 year which would be I think senior year in, in the U.S. and uh my friend Christina William um Christina Miller sorry what's your name sorry if you ever listen to this Christina uh was putting on this this is called the Sears Drama Festival. So she's putting on this play that was run by students. It was kind of a, a dr dramatic uh, competition amongst all schools in Ontario. 
And I went in for the audition. I kind of, I, she like saw, we were friends. She said, you should audition. I kind of laughed about it. I, I, I don't know what brought me on to do it. Maybe because I was just in a new environment and I just wanted to try new things. And, but I was terrible. I was just, just absolutely dreadful in this audition. I'm, I'm pretty sure I left halfway through. And uh, so then I don't know why I've never asked her, but she switched the play to be uh, a two-hander with it's called, it was a play never some alone by Frank uh, MacGyver uh daniel MacGyver, sorry and so me and this other seasoned uh high school actor jordan richards uh we did this and they kind of taught me how to act as we rehearsed it and i just remember the first time i went on stage uh i loved it i like that 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 adrenaline that risk of looking like a complete fool in front of a live audience uh it was like a you know it was like a, a drug hit you know i was addicted to it right from that first time that we did it and we did a pretty good job ultimately and then everything kind of changed after that. You know, I was playing hockey. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. My mom wanted me to be a lawyer because she was a lawyer. Um, hockey, I mean, I, I had a kind of a play. I was like, okay. I was a fast skater, but I really had brick hands. So I knew I wasn't going to make it in hockey, really. I was like the best I could have hoped for was maybe a scholarship to the U.S. for like some D3 school or something like that. So I didn't really was kind of a lost puppy. But when I when I got the acting bug, as they say, uh, I was hooked. And then I was lucky enough to have a guidance counselor who's still a friend to this day, who, who was a professional stage actor in his, in his younger years and uh, saw something in me. And uh, we were, you know, we, we were quite connected at the time. And so he helped me um, audition for, for theater schools and stuff like that. And that's kind of, at that time, I just thought I was going to try and be a stage actor. Film and TV didn't really it wasn't really a reality where I was from. It wasn't something you saw every day, like if you lived in Vancouver or Toronto or in Hollywood or New York. So that's how I originally got the acting bug, though, was a high school theater. And, and just I don't know what my life would have looked like if I didn't end up moving to a new school in grade 12. Yeah. Did so. you kind of did you lean into the athleticism? Some Did you go for like stage combat? Did you kind of see that as like beefing up your resume or anything? Uh, you know, I, funny enough, no, I've never really, I've never really entertained that. Um, I was entertaining it. I was going to entertain it uh, kind of right after uh, the Letterkenny tour, but then it got postponed. And then the last year and a half or two years almost now has been kind of a shit show, but it's definitely something I w would like to be, would like to try because I did like a, a little bit of boxing and Muay Thai just as like a training exercise for hockey in my early years. So yeah, it's definitely something that I would like to get into but no as of now no i'm not <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> so we um we spoke with um jacob tierney one of the co-creators about a year ago mm -hmm. for creative screenwriting um did you come in when they were making the shorts did you come in when it was a series what was kind of your your process getting litigating um we came i came in with dylan during the youtube shorts mm -hmm. um so we all were in vancouver uh playing on this beer league hockey team it was like it was a funny bunch of people. There was like actors, mortgage brokers, uh, real finance guys, real estate agents. It was kind of a weird, a funny, a fun group of, of guys playing hockey. But Jared was on that team. Nate uh, Dales plays uh, Daryl. was on the team. Dylan and I were on the team. Even Tyler Johnson, uh, you know, he subbed in a few times for that team. So it all kind of started on that. And I knew Jared and Nate had been making these, these skits uh, called Letterkenny Problems. And Dylan and I just finished doing uh, a CBC movie called Mr. Hockey, where 
we were playing brothers, the Howe brothers. And so when we finished doing that, I th- I'm not sure how exactly Jared came by the idea. I think it was kind of um, planted in his brain by another friend, Jamie, who said, well, why don't these two guys play the hockey players in your, in your letter Kenny problem skit? So we showed up in Ladner at this farm. I think we're all slightly hung over. Um, and uh, we just did this video. And I, at the time, I really didn't, I didn't really catch the significance of, of, of what we were doing. I think I just showed up and was like, oh, I'm going to do something fun with my friends. I grew up playing hockey, so I knew a lot of Riley and Jonesies. Um, and so did Dylan. So we kind of had a really strong idea of what, like, what these guys were like. And uh, yeah, and then the, the YouTube series blew up and credit to Jared. He, he kept us on on the show and uh, you know, it's been a wild ride. So I think the first, like the first scene of the actual show, Riley and Jonesy show up at the farm. Did you guys, and you guys already made the shorts. How much did you and Dylan talk about how similar are these guys? How different are they? Like, when did they start to like be their own characters? I I think a little bit of the magic with Riley and Jonesy is Dylan and I have so much history together as, as people. I mean, we knew each other. Um, we, we actually had a mutual friend. I was going to UBC. Dylan had me- recently moved to Vancouver and through rather tragic circumstances, we became friends, but um, we'd been played brothers together. At one point in time, we lived together for a year. So Dylan and I had like a natural chemistry and understanding of like hockey culture at the time. And so we never really, I know we never really fully discussed what the characters are like. It really did just come naturally um, and, you know, a lot, Letter Kenny is a lot about rhythm, uh, but I think Riley and Jonesy specifically have a, a rhythmic dance that they always do on screen. And I got to say, it, it really just came quite naturally to us. Um, and we, we, you know, we ha- we're very similar, but very different at the same time. And I think uh, we really countered each other's strengths and weaknesses. And um, I think Jared had imagined it being a little less animated and goofy, Um but Dylan and I together were just kind of when we were on screen, we just kind of naturally gravitated towards being animated and goofy. Um, so yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of a talk at the, initially. It was just a whole lot of rehearsing because the lines are so fast and rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it was just instinct between Dylan and I. What kind of comments do you guys hear from fans about the dialogue? Because it, it, it almost have to like, maybe as Americans, like tune your ear to it, almost like a Shakespeare play. Like, it is yeah. yeah it's funny you say that because i always kind of call i always call it hillbilly shakespeare in a way or like it has a little bit of that because it has the i only say hillbilly shakespeare because it has a rural element to the the dialect mm-hmm. um and things that uh jared's picked up from his past living in letter kenny and but it does have that quick pace like shakespeare and i i hear all kinds of comments and so does dylan and everybody else that you know i i get people who had to watch it a number of times to really pick up on the wordplay because the wordplay is really clever when you get when you really dig deep and then I know other people who they they watch it who are American who don't really understand it but they like the characters the 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 quirkiness of of this small town and like the world that's been created but I'd say you know even me even Canadians you know I depending on where you're from you know you're not going to catch it all (laughs) there's a lot (laughs) yeah um but yeah what what kind of surprised you about when you did notice it like the popularity in those things um what kind of surprised you about that um 
Or maybe I don't know if it was a surprise. I, I think uh, you just never know in the entertainment industry what's going to stick and what, what doesn't. And uh, a happy dose of I'm kind of a hope for the best but plan for the worst type of guy. So I, I never really... I was never really surprised because I thought it had a lot of universal traits that people could gravitate towards too. And initially it had similar humor to trailer park boys. So I knew, I think that the cinematography and and the the storytelling is a little bit more um, fine tuned than early trailer park boys. Uh, No discredit to them. I love trailer park boys, but um, I knew that the humor was, was uh was on point because uh, i mean jared and jacob are very funny there's a lot of very funny people in the show but um yeah i think the gravity of how much it caught on especially when we've when the u.s when when american viewers started to catch on was was really exciting but i knew that the wordplay the characters um the little town the rural element uh, i i always thought that it was pretty universal because you could trade in the hockey players for the crossbows or uh, lacrosse bros or football guys and in the u.s there's tons of you know hicks and there's tons of skids so i feel like there's a lot enough universal elements in the show that it, it could catch on elsewhere yeah what's kind of your take on like some of the underlying themes of the show because you've, you've got like jared's character wayne who's like getting in fist fights all the time He's yeah. also got this like strict moral code. It seems like there's a yeah. good balance of even the vulgarness and the, the humanity yeah. to it. Like, how do you kind of see those things? Yeah, I think that's what makes uh, Letterkenny a really special show. They do a really nice, delicate dance between, you know, violence and crudeness, but also having uh, a, a great amount of acceptance of characters. Like there is no, there are no bullies in Letterkenny. I think Jake, Jacob said that a bunch. Jared said that a bunch. If there ever is a bully, the town immediately deals with them in the way that they should. And I like that they grasp. I like that they tackle things. They don't like pander to what's happening in current events, but I think they they represent what's happening in current events in a very Letterkenny way. Um, and you think maybe it'll go this way. And then, it, you know, I think at the end of the day, Letterkenny is a very accepting show of all kinds of perspectives in the world, especially Canadian ones. Um, they do a good job of representing indigenous stories and how they're perceived and uh, how everyone, you know, whatever, whether it is gender, sexual orientation, all these things. I think Letterkenny is very accepting of that, but at the same time, they'll make a fart joke. And so it is like, it is like a very, they do a very good job of walking that tightrope of uh, not being too preachy and still making entertaining and funny, but there's always like a nugget of wisdom in each episode if you break it down that way. Yeah. You guys are like nine seasons now, and I know they're shorter seasons than, than some of the other shows we're used to, but is there any yeah. difficulty in playing a character that long? Because a lot of, and this is not really a traditional sitcom, but like sitcom characters can't really grow much. Do you see yeah. some of that changing? Is it still interesting all the way through for you? Yeah, I think it's natural that um, that when you play something for a long period of time, there are certain, for Riley and Jonesy, there are certain parameters that you can't can't go outside of. And it, as you're, I think just as as an actor, it's your job um, no one, to make it interesting for yourself so that it's interesting for the audience. And, uh, yeah, you get used to it. And then, you know, the, my, the biggest fear is, you know, complacency creeping in. So you got to find new ways uh, to view the scripts and and, per, and, and and portray different sides of Riley and Jonesy, even though, like, they still are very much about hockey girls 
and looking good after a gym session. So, um, but I also think there's like a, the humanity with Riley and Jonesy is like, they'd be easy to hate, but they, they have such a love for each other. Um, and, and deep down they have a love for other people in their own weird way. Um, but yeah, I mean, over the years it's, it, it, it hasn't, it's just, you know, I just look at it as a challenge to, and, and luckily every year that we get scripts, it's always something new and fun and exciting to do. So credit to uh, Jared and Jacob and everyone who's written the show that, you know, it's not like it's been hard to get excited about a script because they're always pretty good. So yeah has working on the show kind of changed any of your ambitions like are you looking to like act and write and direct some of those things yeah i think uh that's a great question i after watching i mean i was lucky enough to see jared you know jared had been acting in a lot of stuff before letter kenny but i saw him kind of manifest his own destiny with with the letter kenny scripts and and his and his uh whole path with letter kenny i thought it was really exciting and um encouraging for someone like me who i've actually always kind of wanted to write and i have like a a pile of really shitty scripts when i was in university um but in the last few years i i've actually just kind of finished writing a feature film of my own that i'm fine-tuning with the the help of my friends and i actually have two new writing partners uh dan harosh who's written some stuff on letter kenny as well and adam feingold uh we've been writing uh, a series of kind of thriller-like horror films. And I, it's something that I've always wanted to do was, was write. Um, I like that it, you're not limited to who you are a, as a person and what you look like. You, you know, the world's kind of your oyster when you're writing a script. So yeah, that's something that I think I wouldn't have fully got had I not been a part of the Letterkenny experience because I kind of witnessed it in Jared, Jared's career path that he, you know, he really kind of grabbed the bull by the horns, so to speak. And uh that's kind of what uh, Dan, Adam, and I want to do now is we, you know, we want to pump out a lot of scripts and, and get them made and have fun. Cause it's, if you can make your own content and do it with your friends, it's just so much fun. I mean, I think that's a, another strong feature of Letterkenny is everyone gets along. It's such a great environment. There's uh, you know, egos are checked at the door and we all just want to make funny things and enjoy each other's company. And it's always been a really, really strong place to, to have fun and work. And uh, I think that's what we want to do as well. So that's, sorry. Yeah, I think when I first saw the show, I was telling someone, I was like, it's like a, I said, I was like, I think it's like a low budget Canadian show and they just like write the shit out of it. They just spend a, t- a ton of time writing it and making it funny. Are you putting yeah. any rules on the screenplays you're writing? Are you looking at like contained thrillers or low budget or anything like that to help get it made? Yeah, I think uh, when you first, I mean, I'm l- lucky enough that I have, you know, Jared and Jacob and some other friends who are writers where, you know, when you're first starting off as a, a writer, you, you know, it's like, I'm not going to include a bunch of CGI, especially with thrillers, like CGI cars exploding, like, you know, a thousand extras. No. Yeah. We're, we're writing pretty contained thrillers that are fairly budget friendly to start. Um, and, and that are still, you know, a lot of fun because horror films and thrillers are, are just, I find so much fun to write. Uh, but yeah, we definitely keep, we don't keep it so much in the forefront because it could also be creatively uh, limiting if you're just constantly thinking about budget, but we're not completely unaware of it. We definitely take that into consideration for sure. Yeah. Are there some recent um, horror and thriller movies you're kind of looking to or things you really enjoyed the last couple of years? Yeah. 
Um, Ready or Not, uh, it was a really great uh, film. I thought that, I mean, obviously the Get Out, Get Out Us, I mean, Jordan Peele, obviously, I kind of created its own genre in a way. Yeah. Um, but I loved Ready or Not. I loved Candyman. The redo of Candyman was really, really good. Um, I like the throwback. I don't know if you've seen High Tension. It's like a French film. It's the guy who did uh, The Hills of Eyes remake, but he, he had a, high, a movie called High Tension that's really good. Um, I really, one of my favorite movies ever is called The Invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are some of the movies that I, that I gravitate towards. I also love Korean cinema. Like I saw the devil, um, a bittersweet life is one of my favorite movies. So I kind of draw from, and I like drawing from Korean films and international films because sometimes they portray stories in ways that you don't necessarily always see in uh, the Hollywood formula. Right. Um, and uh, also, I mean, Adam and Dan are a plethora of knowledge about film. So it's, it has been nice to have writing partners where you can bounce ideas off of, because you'll find out pretty quickly whether <laughs> your idea is good or not. So <laughs> um, yeah, those are kind of the movies that I've been gravitating towards recently. Yeah. So some of those you're referencing, I'm kind of a general uh, broad strokes here, but a lot of those, especially the Jordan Peele, have like underlying themes, and then they're kind of mixed with maybe high concept. Are you guys yeah. pitching back a ton of ideas and then seeing what works and then figuring out the theme later? Like, is there some formula a little bit to that? Uh, I think we, you know, the one idea that we have, uh, which is kind of a cinephile's dream, when it's like it's kind of about this guy who takes uh, – without getting too too deeply into it, I guess, just because I don't want to sure. do a disservice to it yet because it's not fully completed. But it's about a guy who uses the drive-in theater to kind of create his own series of horror films that go too far. And um, I think when we, wrote, when we started outlining it, we have an idea of where we want it to go and beginning, middle, uh, sorry, beginning and end. And uh, we I think the themes kind of came, they aren't, we kind of find them out after we kind of have like, okay, I have an idea for the start of a scene. We kind of write out and we have a bit of a messy platform or uh, sorry, routine where we, you know, we have an idea for a scene. So we write the scene, see if it fits in there. We like divvy up like, Hey, you have an idea for this scene. You have an idea for that scene. I have an idea for this scene. We'll write it. Then we'll come together, read our scenes together, see what we like. So we don't kind of mash it together, knowing what the beginning and end is. And then in the end, like you kind of, we naturally with things that we see in real life, we kind of, I think subconsciously or not enter into the script no matter what. And then it's about figuring out, okay, well, how high concept do you want it to be? How much do you want it to be digestible? How much do you want it to be commercially viable? You know, all these things you kind of, it's like a juggling act because you don't want it to be, I think we've always wanted to make thrillers and horrors that aren't too like art house, but it also has teeth, but it also is, do you know what I mean? It has teeth, but it's still commercially viable and it's not, you know, people aren't really like strenuously trying to figure out what's going on. They still want it to be entertaining at the end of the day. Yeah. So, and so you're in the industry, which might be different from like a listener who um, hasn't written their first script yet. What advice might you have about the mindset or the habits of just like, if you got an idea, write a spec script, like what are some of the benefits that people might not see, even if it doesn't get sold? I think at the, I've, it's, it's, it's not really, it's kind of uh, the most interesting take, but it's, 
a thousand, uh, 10,000 hours. Uh, you know, you, there are some people who are talented for sure, right off the hop, but even the ones I've, uh, in, in sports and, and just generally the people around me in my life, I hard work, uh, and like a good work ethic and not being afraid. You know, I think I, when I first started off running, I wanted things to be perfect. Then I got frustrated and realized they're not perfect. They're, they're actually the opposite. They're, they're terrible. It's like, don't be, don't be an editor and a writer at the same time. Like, don't be afraid to just like, look like, like an idiot or write something that's foolish. Just like get it on the page and, and you can change it later, but don't edit while you're writing and write every day. And like literally every day, no matter what, even if it's for like 30 minutes, because um, I think there's no quick way to learn how to write. And it is, it's, you know, it's not hard, like, you know, crab fishing off of the Atlantic, but it's hard in the sense that, you know, you're faced with a blank page and it's your ideas and people are going to read it and break it down. And it's like, you know, there's no easy way to avoid, you know, landing on your face uh, a number of times before you start getting the hang of it. And I certainly experience that and even now i'm still like i mean we're still you know we're still learning every day i'm still learning new things especially with dan and adam who are much more seasoned writers than i am you know i i'm when i started working with them i was like okay i really had to elevate my game and i i fell a few times on my face just recently in the last few weeks so i don't think that ever goes away and i just think you can't be afraid to look to look dumb you got to just keep keep at it every day and keep being a sponge and a student of, of other people's work. Cause at the end of the day, you, you gotta be disciplined. Mm. Yeah. Kind of thinking back to when you started acting, right. Acting and writing. Do you have any, um, do you remember any misconceptions or false beliefs you had years ago that you now know is, is something totally different? Um, Yeah, I think uh, that's a good question. I haven't never really, haven't thought about that. I think when I first started off, um, especially coming out of like a, I kind of came out of an acting conservatory that was more theater leaning. I thought, you know, even though I'd been a huge cinephile before that, I thought you go into an audition room and you know you just acting's acting, um, and I, I had this misconception that. It, the, the, the cameras would somehow make your performances smaller <laughs> even they do these big theatrical movements and I think for the first year of auditioning I was like whoa what a, this isn't working like what's going on here and I realized you know with with film acting it's much more contained into your face and in your eyes right. uh, so I think that was a bit of a misconception I had just a bit of a, a naive feeling going into the, the film industry was that you know also I thought I think that was the, the major one, honestly. I don't think there's been too many others just because I try not to assume too much, but that one was one I got caught caught out on. And um, I think there's, I think also there's a misconception that like the entertainment industries like can be like cutthroat and, and, you know, everyone's out for themselves, which don't get me wrong. There is that, but there's still so many like gracious, people in the industry who just want to make cool things and entertaining stuff and, you know, don't have a bad bone in their body. And I think that doesn't get talked about nearly enough because, you know, obviously the controversy stands out more in people's eyes, but yeah, there's, I think that was a misconception is like, you know, you know, you gotta do you and like do whatever you can to like get ahead. And it's like, no, I think it's actually, it's a team game and uh, it's, it's not a, 
a solo act, you know, that you're as good as the people around you and you want to see other people succeed. Um, Cause if they're succeeding, then you're, you're succeeding and you're learning from their success. So I think that was another big one for me is that, you know, it's not, there are, there are some people you should probably watch out for, but for the most part, there's a lot of really cool people who just want to make, make cool stuff for people to see. You may have already kind of answered this one, but was there any like bad advice you got in the beginning? Or is there any common bad advice you hear to actors or writers? I think I had a, I, I don't want to throw this person under the bus. I think I had uh, someone who represented me early on that expected a lot out of me right away. And there was a lot of pressure coming at me right away. My advice out there is, you know, take your time and, and don't try to like take your time and you just be comfortable. Try your focus should be comfortable with yourself. And then, and then deal. And I'm butchering this. I felt like I, I had to be something that I wasn't because of the, the pressure I was kind of facing at the time from one person individ, uh, specifically and just whatever you don't let that, don't let that get to you and don't let someone determine how much pressure you should put yourself uh, put on yourself or what you should be like um you should be try to find a way to be who you want to be in the industry because then if say if you do say you're pressured into something and you're trying to be something you're not and then for whatever reason it works then you still have then you kind of have to maintain that 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 image for lack of a better term and then now you're stuck kind of in and then you just kind of then you're lost so I feel like I had that a little bit. I got out of it pretty quickly, which was I'm lucky and fortunate enough. But I felt, yeah, there was a, a lot of tension between my representative and myself where I just it just wasn't working. So, you know, do things that, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, you need to do this quickly. You need to get in it fast. You need to like catch the, the heat. But, you know, do things at your pace, not too slow, obviously, but <laughs> but, you know, have respect for yourself and, and, and do things when you're ready to do them. We'll just do um, one or two more. Thanks for all your really yeah. thoughtful answers. Um, you want to tell me a little bit about the tour you guys are doing now, kind of like where you're at and some of those things? Yeah. So, I mean, it's COVID happened. We were kind of just starting. So we never really got fully on the tour bus. I'm, we're all really excited to actually uh, get it going. Uh, a lot of it's like it's 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 the postponed version. So we're kind of fulfilling the the original tour dates in a lot of the, in a lot of the U.S. So um, we're going all, I think we're in 24, 25 states um, in the U.S. Um, and then a few in Canada on the, on the West Coast and in the prairies. So, you know, it's going to be it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a lot of we're doing a lot of sketches infused with stand up comedy. And then I'm sure they'll have um, some multimedia previews of the upcoming seasons to get get people excited. But, you know, the fans are a ton of fun. I know we did notice we did. We had one show uh, in the U.S., which was in Detroit in front of 4,300 people and it felt a lot like a rock concert. People were so loud. Um, so we have really great fans. Uh, very, very great fans. I, I got to say they, they, they come in with a full force of energy and, and excitement. And I think we're excited to, to put on a great show for everyone who comes out and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And we're just like, I mean, I'm not, we're not, not saying we're rock stars at all, but it's like, we are getting that kind of rock star experience of touring together, like in a band almost, you know, it's, it's kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity where we're just going to 
tour around a bus and ex- get to see all these cool places in the U.S. I mean, I love the U.S. and there's places I've been, but I've never been like Kansas City or Raleigh or uh, Red Bank, New Jersey or Maine, Portland, like all these little places in the U.S. that I've never been to. Um, it's just going to be so much fun.